Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Starkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at starkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. All right, good morning. It's so good to see you this morning. How about a, a hand clap for our worship team this morning doing an outstanding job leading us in worship. And today we're going to talk about the reason that you and I come together to worship the reason that every day of your life, of your Christian experience, should be an opportunity and you should have a desire to worship him. We're going to talk about that today, and it's found right here in this. This is our... Uh our partnership guide that we have developed to help you. Maybe you're visiting, maybe you've been here for a while. If you have not received one of these, be sure and pick one of these up on your way out. They're located around where they pass out your life guide. And in it is contained information to help you know more about the church that you desire to partner with. Uh, we want to be transparent. We want to answer your questions before you ask most of them. There's no hidden agenda. There's no fine print. We want you to know who we are as a church. And uh, we want you to know that if you're going to partner with a church, it needs to be built on the Word of God. Uh, and that's it. Nothing else. And so that's what this is all about. It'll help you. It'll help you as you invite friends to come to church uh, to answer their questions. Now, everything we talk about in the sermon series is not contained, obviously, in this little book. But this is a guideline, and it will help you. So pick one of these up. Now, as we've been in this series called DNA, uh, we've, we begin to discover and unpack some of the things about our church. The reason we chose the theme of DNA is DNA is a molecule that contains within it the nature, the reproducibility, the sustainability of any living organism. And that's what the church is. It's not some religious institution or organization. It is a living organism. And so DNA is the information that we have set forth to help us stay on track, to stay and remain who we are as the Lord's church, and to know uh, how we move forward reproducing ourselves uh, and evangelizing the world. So uh, today we're going to, uh, we'll back up. So we've covered uh, our vision statement, we, our, our uh, uh, life verse for the church. We've talked about our three primary uh, mission objectives to accomplish our vision statement, which are simply said in three words, to uh, knowing, growing, and going. Uh, we've talked about the organization or the structure of the church, that we have pastors, elders, bishops, uh, shepherds, all one word. Uh, that's who, is, who are the leaders of the church. We talked about the only other uh, ordained position in the church, which is the position of a deacon, and they lead servanthood or servantship in the church. We talked about that. And so today we're going to talk about, we're going to begin the uh, unpacking our mission objective, knowing. And to extend that, it is knowing Jesus intimately. Our goal as a church is to disciple you and others in knowing Jesus intimately. You see, it's not about knowing about a man who died on a cross and rose from the dead. It's about walking with him. And when we understand the greatness of who God is, it's a game changer. Your spirituality, your Christian journey, your life, your eternal destiny become real. They become, uh, they become tangible to you. And that's what we want uh, to do. We're going to be talking about Today and for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk, be talking about knowing Jesus. Now, why this is so important is simply said in this. Uh, Jesus is God. 
You see, to know Jesus intimately, we have to get to a place where we, by faith, place our faith in one greater than we are. You see, we can't die for each other and make each other right with God. God had to come to this earth and die in our place to make us right with himself, and that's what he did. So there's a lot of confusion about Jesus being God. Uh, But I want you to know the Christian church, this is paramount. This is imperative that you and I get this. We need to know and we need to have biblical support on why we believe that Jesus is God. Because if we are a Christian, meaning we are a disciple, a learner of Jesus, then we need to get him in the right perspective, in the right mindset. And that is, he is God and we are not. And so if we accept the fact that Jesus is part of the triune God of the universe, then the question becomes, if I'm a follower of Jesus, is that Jesus God simply God of my life? You see, in most of the world, it's simply not true. Most of the Christian community, we want a get-out-of-hell-free card. None of us want to go to hell when we die. If you do, you've absolutely lost your mind. Okay, or you don't understand what hell is all about. So nobody wants that. So we hear the gospel, and and the Holy Spirit convicts our heart that maybe we're separated from God because of our sin, and we hear this uh, message that Jesus wants to fix that, and he's done everything on a cross uh, in dying and on the third day being resurrected to offer us life. And so then somebody says, you say a prayer, you receive Christ into your life, and you're saved. And although that's true, sometimes there's more to the story than we realize. You see, to say that we're a Christian is to say, I believe that Jesus died for me. But see, in Scripture, the word Savior usually travels with another word called Lord. It means I am going to trust the God of the universe to adopt me and forgive me and save me and call me his own. But when we do that, we are to say, and because that's what he did for me, he is not only the God of the universe, he's the God of me. You see, the church is a group of assemblies around the world through all time. And it's every tribe, every nation, every flavor of person that you could ever imagine. But the true church is not a group of people who have their name written on a physical, tangible role in a church assembly. True Christianity, the true church, are individuals who are bought and paid for in the blood of Jesus and have allowed Jesus to become not only their Savior, but the Lord of their life. They have an eternal place in God's economy called heaven. They're adopted into the family. So here's what all of us get to do. We come to a place where we say, okay, am I a nominal Christian, meaning I call myself a Christian by name, or am I a child of the true and living God? Am I really a follower? Am I really, have I really received the fullness of Jesus into my life? Now, so we're going to talk about that today because what we're talking about is a game changer. Accepting Jesus as God of the universe and God of your life is the hinge pin. It's the moment when everything uh, switches, when, when God becomes alive to you, when we realize that when when We say we trust Jesus. It is a commitment to walk hand in hand with God through eternity. 
That's good stuff. It's more than just some superficial religiosity. It's more than just some pop culture ideology. It is where you as an individual and I as an individual put my hand in the hand of a Savior and walk with God through eternity. It's good. It's more than often we give it credit. And because we don't understand who Jesus is, often we fail in our commitment, in our devotion, in our love, and in our submission and surrender to Jesus as Lord of our life. And so we're going to talk about that today. It's this, this thing about Jesus being God is big. And there's people even in the Christian community from time to time who, well, I just don't know if Jesus is God. Well, if that's you, we're going we're gonna to fix that today, okay? You can know that Jesus is God. Not because your preacher told you. I'm going to show you where, from what matters most, and that's the word of God, that he reveals that to you. And I want you to know that Jesus being God is it separates true Christianity from all of the religions in the world. And we're all familiar with religions in the world. And, and so to help us with that, let's talk about it. One that you probably are very familiar with is the Muslim community, the Islamic faith. What do they believe about Jesus? It's, it's pretty incredible. You may already know it, but probably not. Listen what they believe about Jesus. It's in the Quran, their Bible. The Quran says Jesus is a great prophet. <clears throat> the Quran says he was born of a virgin named Mary. And strangely enough, the only female's name in all of the Quran is Mary. Every other time a female is mentioned, they are the queen of some place or the wife or the mother of someone. Mary's name is mentioned as the virgin mother of Jesus in the Islamic Quran. It goes on. And, and, and when a Muslim prays, often they include Jesus in their prayers because they agree that Jesus, like Muhammad, was a great prophet. And so they pray in their prayers, peace be upon Jesus. They know Jesus was a significant player in the spiritual realm of life. They know that Jesus was arguably one of the greatest human beings that ever walked on the planet. The Quran refers to a lot of the miracles that Jesus performed while on earth. They believe actually that actually that Jesus spoke from his crib. They believe that Mary took Jesus to visit her parents and they derided her and accused her of adultery. They didn't believe that her baby was a virgin birth of an immaculate conception. And they believe in the Quran that, that Mary told her parents, you don't have to believe me, ask him. To which they ask infant baby Jesus. And in the Quran, this is what Jesus said. As a baby, I am indeed a servant of God. He has given me revelation and made me a prophet. He has made me blessed wheresoever I will be. He has enjoined on me prayer and charity as long as I live. He has made me kind to my mother and not overbearing or miserable. So peace is on me the day I was born, the day that I die, and the day that I shall be raised to life again. Now, don't get me wrong. We've all had children. They start talking, and we tell people, oh, you've heard it. You know, my, my baby just said it just said, you know, mama. Oh, yeah, yeah, mine says the alphabet. Three languages. Two of them indiscernible, but they're languages. You know, we act like they know. This is G baby Jesus talking to his grandparents, right? And so they believe Jesus is amazing, right? They give him high regard. But we need to make it clear. They do not believe Jesus is God's son or Jesus is God the son. They believe in Jesus. He's amazing, but he's not God. So that's the Muslim community. What about the Church of Scientology? That's a nice wacko church, okay? John Travolta, Tom Cruise, great actors, but when it comes to spirituality, a little bit on the confused side. 
Now, what does this church of Scientology believe about Jesus? Well, this is what they believe. Each person can interpret God however they choose. That's good. Jesus, this is what it says. Jesus was a shade above clear. What does that even mean? What does that even mean? Shade above clear. It's good to know about your Jesus, isn't it? Jesus lived beyond the influences of his world. Jesus did not die a substitutionary death. Jesus was only a reincarnation. Each person determines the best way to overcome their immortality because Jesus did not die on a cross to atone for our sin. Scientology. What about one a little closer to home that you may drive by somewhere in in our town? The Unitarian Church. They believe that Jesus was a moral exemplar, practicing the compassion, generosity, and mercy that he preached in his own life and in stories like the Good Shepherd and the Good Samaritan. Jesus calls us to connect, to transcend pride and selfishness and choose instead to love and serve, to do good and to care for each other. Jesus is a prophetic leader and an instrument of the divine. And each person may or may not believe that Jesus was the Son of God. Because it's up to their own determination. But generally, Jesus is not God. What about the ones who amazingly, in the middle of the heat, the middle of the winter, they show up on your front steps wearing a white shirt and black ties? What about those guys? You had those visitors? That would be called LDS, the Latter-day Saints. That would be called the Mormons. Amazing commercials. Amazing family commercials on television. Amazing people. Devoted people. We should, be, we should learn from their desire to evangelize the world with their idea of what the gospel is. They believe much about Jesus and much more besides that. What do they believe? Mormonism makes eternal life synonymous with becoming a God for themselves. Mormons believe in what's called exaltation, whereby people can become a God if they live a moral enough life. And if they've accepted the sacrament of Jesus and received a celestial marriage in the Mormon temple and received a Mormon baptism. If Mormons actually reach salvation or exaltation, they live forever as a family in heaven as gods themselves over their own planet. Jesus' atonement allows humans to live forever. However, their eternal lives are determined by by the quality of their commitment here on this earth. The Lord created you and me for the purpose of becoming gods like himself. The Lord has organized mankind to express the purpose of increasing in that intelligence and truth which is with God until We are capable of creating worlds on worlds and becoming gods, even sons of God ourselves. Therefore, Jesus is not equal to the Father. He is not part of the triune God, having achieved uh, uh, God status only through exaltation and reincarnation. Mormons believe that Jesus is the Savior, but limit his atonement to providing physical resurrection for all people. That's what they believe. Now, they don't tell you that when they come up on the porch, okay? They'll tell you, we're just like you. We believe the same thing you do. They believe some good things about Jesus. They believe things in the Bible, but they have another book called the Book of Mormon, and it does not identify Jesus as God. What about the other group that probably knocked on your doors? Jehovah's Witnesses. Established in 1884 by Charles Taze Russell, this is what they believe. Jesus is not eternal, nor is he divine or God. 
He was created by God as God's first son of many sons. And the word firstborn is really, really means in the Bible first created. Jesus, in fact, is the archangel Michael, born a mere human, not physically resurrected. Secondly, uh, they believe in that the second coming was invisible and it happened in 1914 and you and I just missed it. They believe that Jesus was a great human being and prophet, but he is not God. Now, all of that are the religions, generally the religions of the world, and they would agree with that. Church, listen to me. If you are born again, if you claim Christianity, you do not embrace that. You embrace one truth that God is God and he is three persons, co-equal, co-eternal, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And, and, and we're going to talk about that today, and I want to show you in God's Word why you can grow a spine about that and hold your head up and know emphatically that it's true. And not because I'm telling you, but because God has told us through time. C.S. Lewis, he wasn't always a Christian, he was an atheist, but he is an amazing author. Amazing author. He wrote amazing books that'll make your head swim. Okay, you've seen many of his movies. Well, C.S. Lewis said this in his book, Mere Christianity. He said, some say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. Lewis goes on, he says, that is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man who said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man Jesus was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us and he did not intend to. That's well said right there. Now, true Christianity stands alone and embraces this doctrine of the Trinity where all other religions separate. I want you to know that about yourself, about this church. We don't hide from it. We don't run from it. We don't cower from it. It's the truth, and we embrace it. And when we get it just a little bit, and that's all we're going to get it, when we get it just a little bit, it changes our walk with God. It changes our faith in his word. Christianity is, in fact, built on the truth, the revelation of Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection, but it's built on something deeper that the death, burial, and resurrection was not just the murder of a man on a cross. It was the surrender of God on a cross on behalf of the sins of you and me. That's bigger than the way we play it many times. We need to be very clear that Jesus is God. Now, Jesus, when referred to theologically and regarding the Trinity, the word is incarnation. The incarnation of Christ. What is that? Well, if you today, if you go to the Mexican restaurant, you can get carne asada, right? Carne is flesh. That means you're getting meat on your plate, not just rice and beans. Okay, that's where the word comes from. Incarnation is really the meat of God. 
It is the flesh. It is God with a bod. It is God putting skin on and revealing himself to us. And and so Jesus is God in the flesh. That's who he was. And to this day, that's who he maintains his godness to be. God has three very unique persons, co-equal, co-eternal. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So that's deep. You don't understand that. Your pastor sure doesn't understand that. Collectively, we can come together and put all of our brain cells in a bowl and begin to pontificate on who, what this trinity really is, and we will fail miserably because it's beyond us. This is the beauty of your God. This is the beauty of our God is that he's greater than anything we can even imagine. And so how do we begin to explain the trinity and understand and unpack it? We don't, and we don't have to. God has done that for us. You see, I know me really well. I've been walking around with me for about 60 years and some months. And if, I, if you want to know about me, ask me about me. I'd be happy to tell you about me. And you would be happy to tell me about you. And most of it would be true. God knows God very well. He's been with God for eternity, a long time. He knows himself really, really well. And he wants to define and introduce himself and and he wants you to know him. And so he does it three ways. First, he presents himself through the word of God. He tells us who he is. He tells us his attributes and his nature and his desires and his hopes and his plans. He tells us about himself because he knows himself really well. And then if it's a little too deep or scary or hard to realize for you, he sends part of himself, the Holy Spirit, to give you clarity, to give you discernment, to give you direction about understanding what it is he says who he is. And still, if maybe the word of God isn't clear enough for you, uh, you're just not a good reader. That's my group. Maybe the Holy Spirit isn't isn't clear, uh, clear enough in presenting and convicting you of the truth of who he is. You know what he does? He wraps himself in skin, comes to this earth, and shows himself to us through the God man whose name is Jesus. Pretty cool stuff. That's how much God, listen to me, that's how much God wants you. I'm talking to you in particular, by name, as an individual. That's how much God wants you to know him. He already knows you. He already knows you. All of you mess ups, all of you. He knows you and he still loves you and he wants you to know him. And so he begins to reveal himself over time through his word and through his spirit and through Jesus. And so on the back of your life guide, I'm going to call this first part of the message an introduction to the Trinity. Where do we get the Trinity? Where does he show up? He shows up when it's important. That's when he shows up. He shows up at amazing times on his eternal timeline. Watch this. The first one on the back of your life guide is called at the creation of the world. That's a biggie. God is eternally existing and then he creates what we know as the world. What we know as the universe, the galaxies, all of living order, everything we see, everything tangible. God created that, right? And so listen how they show up. It's really amazing. He doesn't waste any time introducing himself as a plural yet singular God. Now, I want to be very clear about something. This is not polytheism. Polytheism, there you go, new word. This is not polytheism, more than one God. This is one God with three equal co-eternal persons, okay? It's monotheism, one God, yet with different persons. But listen what he says. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. In the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was without shape and empty and darkness was over the surface of the watery deep. But the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the water and God said, let there be light. And there was light. There it is. The first three verses of the Bible, he introduces himself to you and to me. He tells you and me more than we've ever read. There's so much there it would take years to unpack. But this is what he said that you probably missed. And you would miss it if you haven't studied. Here's what it says. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning of this world, not in the beginning of God, God has no beginning. That'll make your head spin. You can't even remember what you had for supper last night. God is eternal. There you go. There's your good comparison or contrast. Here's what he says. In the beginning, God. In the Hebrew, listen to this. His name in the Hebrew, right here in the first verse of the book, of the bookend of the Bible, he says, in the beginning, Elohim. You say, yeah, that's cool. What's so cool about that? The suffix on the end of that word is im, I am. If I'm talking about one angel, uh, or if I'm talking about plural angels, it changes based on a suffix. An angel is a cherub. You put a pair of them together, they're cherubim. God is singular, but here he says he's plural. I am Elohim. I'm plural. What is he talking about? Again, not polytheism, a bunch of gods. He says, I am one God with three persons. And now, in this very first three verses, he's going to introduce us to himself. He's going to unpack himself a little bit for us. From the beginning, God does this. Now, listen to what he says. He, in the very beginning, he's in the beginning, God. That represents, that reveals or displays his omnipresence. That means his, um, his presence in all space and time. He doesn't define where he came from, how he came into being, what that looked like pre-creation in the beginning of this world. He just says, listen, I transcend time. I, I, I have days, I put the moon and the stars in the sky. I put the sun in the sky to give you time, to give you days, to give you hours and years and months. <clears throat> I don't need it. I am outside the time continuum. I see all of eternity, past, present, and future, as if it's happening in an atom, in a millisecond of time. That's, it points to his omnipresence. He's outside what we understand about time. And then we also see he, uh, he represents or displays his omnipotence. A potence means power, that he's powerful over everything. He says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So what's so powerful about that? He created everything we know out of nothing at all. In Latin, it's called ex nihilo. It means out of nothing at all, God spoke everything into existence. That's power. You see, every day, you, you may have a, a delivery man bring you an, an Amazon package of something that, where people took products that already existed, formed them and fashioned them into something that you liked, and delivered to your door. But here's the thing. All of those products are made by something that already existed. Maybe you got a new dress. It was fabricated by something that already existed. Uh, maybe you got a part for your car, okay? It was fabricated out of already existing materials. Everything that we see, everything that we know, everything tangible in the universe, God put into place out of nothing at all. That makes him God omnipotent. That's your God. That's your God. See, he's big like that. The third thing we see is his omniscience. It, omniscience, the word science in then, meaning knowledge, his all knowledge. He, he goes on and he says this. He said, uh, he created the heavens and the earth. And then he says, now the earth was without shape and empty and darkness was over the surface of the watery deep. It sounds like it's just kind of a muck. Like, well, he started it, but it didn't turn out quite the way he had in mind. 
I want you to know something. Everything turns out the way God intended it to turn out. God is sovereign. God is over all things. He's omniscient. He knows all things. Now watch this. It's the same with your life. He created you. While you were in your mother's womb, he knew you. He knit you together. He knows your DNA. He knows you're, you're good. He knows you're bad. He knows everything about you. And sometimes when he looks at your life, it looks like what he just described right here in verse 2, of a void and without form and in darkness under the deep. It looks like that. But he's not finished, you see. He wasn't finished here. It's a work in progress, right? It's a work in progress. So, so listen what happens now. He's working his progress. He knows it all. He knows what he's going to do. It doesn't look like that right now, but it's coming. Listen what happens. He says, and the Spirit of God. So you've got God the Father. He's doing his thing. And now all of a sudden this new player comes into the game. The Spirit of God. In the Hebrew, it's the Ruach Elohim. It's the Spirit, the breath of this singular yet plural God. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Uh, the Ruach, the Spirit of God begins. And it says that he was moving. The, the picture in the Hebrew is that he's like a mother hen brooding or hovering over his chicks. <laughs> That's just what it says. So here's the Holy Spirit and he's just... He's just moving around. I don't know he looked like that. Pretty goofy. But he's moving around. He's doing what only he can do. He's actively engaged in what God the Father is doing, and that is creating and forming the world that we know as earth. And then he goes on and he says, and then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And you say, okay, that's cool. So what does that have to do with the triune God? You got God the Father, obviously. You got the Holy Spirit, the Ruach Elohim, obviously. Where's Jesus come into the picture? God said, let there be light. What is that? Well, it's the sun. No, it's not. That's day four. This is day one. Sun's not there. Moon's not there. Star's not there. Light's not there. So what is he's let there be light? So you say, you're stretching it right there now, pastor, to say that the light is Jesus. Maybe I am. But it's not just the light. God said it's the word of God that light showed up. Now, is that Jesus? I think it is. Watch this. When you look over into uh, John, the New Testament, chapter 1, verse 1 through 5, it says, in the beginning, we just read about in the beginning, right? Genesis 1. He says, in the beginning was the Word. God said it was there. And the Word was with God. Sure it was. He just said it. And the Word was fully God. Now he's telling us something new. The Word was fully God, part of God, a person of God. Listen, verse 2. And the word was with God in the beginning. All things were created by him. Now the word gets a personality. It gets a pronoun, a him. It says now the word that was with God, now it says in him were all things created. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Verse 4, in him was life. Now watch this, listen closely. And the life was the light of mankind. And the light shines on in the darkness. You remember what he did in Genesis? But the darkness has not mastered it. You say, so pastor, you're suggesting that God the Father, the creator, and the Holy Spirit who hovered, and the word and the light is Jesus? Yes, I am. Am I? I'm, you're not convinced? What did Jesus say in John chapter 1, verse 14? Now the word became flesh, or this is John. The word became flesh. The word became flesh. And took up residence among us. We saw his glory, the glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth who came from the Father. Jesus said of himself in John 8, 12, 
I am the light of the world. I want you to know something. Right out of the chute, when God introduced himself to all mankind that he created, he told us, I am Elohim. I am three persons, one God, co-eternal, co-equal, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. We can hold our head up. Now, did he ever let go of that? Maybe that's just a fluke. Maybe that's just a mist. That's a typo. It never shows up again. Well, I beg to differ. So we're going to keep going. Number two on the back of your life guide, the Trinity is revealed at the conception of Jesus. The conception of Jesus. Listen, listen to what happens. Luke chapter 1, verse 35, Mary is getting her revelation that she's going to have a God baby. Okay? This is what she's told. Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. There's one. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. That's two. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. There's three. He shows up at the conception of Jesus. Listen, the word of God is always right, always true, and always accurate. He cannot mess up. If you know everything from eternity past to eternity future, when you speak, you speak the truth because you cannot tell a lie. Because to tell a lie negates what you know to be the future. And so he always says the truth. His word is always true. It is precise. It is immovable over time. Your culture and my culture, it's going to change. Your opinions, your philosophies, they're going to shift. Your politics and your education, they're going to swing. Your science and your technology, it may advance. But the word of God is fixed because it's outside of time and change and unknowns. That's what God looks like. He's outside of all of that variation because he knows all of the answers to the unasked questions. He knows all of the discoveries that are yet to be found. And so Jesus was this word made flesh. Matthew 5.18 says this about his word, how much we can rely on his word, how much we can sink our teeth and our grip in to his word. Jesus said in Matthew 5.18, I'm going to tell you the truth. That's what he did. He said, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke of a letter, that's a jot and a tittle if you're reading King James, will pass from the law until everything takes place. He says, let me tell you something about my book. Every apostrophe, every letter is true and will remain true and will be fulfilled nothing will go undone you can hang on to the word of God and therefore so far you already see in the word of God the trinity you can hang on to God Elohim three persons yet one God thirdly I want you to see the trinity introduced at the commencement of Jesus's earthly ministry now what is that so Jesus is born the virgin birth he lives with Joseph and, mother, and his mother Mary. He's got brothers, uh, one of them being James, and, and he's living his life, and he's perfect. He's the brother that everybody hates to have, okay? And he does, never does anything wrong. Perfect. Everything. Perfect. But he's not, he has not revealed himself as God yet. He has not begun his ministry yet. So he's about 30 years old, and he's, his time has come, and he's walking along the Jordan, and he sees his cousin, Elizabeth's son, uh, John the Baptist, and he, John the Baptist is baptizing people for repentance. So Jesus goes to the river, and he says, hey, I'd like to be baptized. And John says, I, I'm not even worthy to undo your shoe. And he says, that, that's neither here nor there. You have to baptize me. So he was baptized. 
This is what happens when the Trinity shows up again. His ministry on earth is now beginning. He's going to perform miracle after miracle. He's going to display love after love after love. He's going to offer atonement for our sins on a cross. He's going to raise from the dead on the third day. He's going to jump on a cloud and ascend back to heaven waiting for his return. And this is what it looks like when that is launched. It says in Matthew chapter 3 verse 16, after Jesus was baptized, there's one, Just as he was coming up out of the water, the heavens opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending. There's two. Like a dove and coming to rest on him. And the voice from heaven said, this is my one dear son. In him I take great delight. Number three, God shows up when his ministry is beginning. Not convinced? Let's finish this part up. Number four, the Trinity shows up at the communication of end times. He started with bookend number one. He introduced himself as Elohim, a triune God. He carries that through all the way to the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, chapter uh, one, verses four and five, it says, grace and peace to you from he who is from, he who is, who was, and who is still to come, God the Father. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. There's seven Holy Spirits. There's one spirit. The number seven is the number for uh, a completion and perfection. It's the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Number two. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. Number three. The firstborn from among the dead. The, rule, the ruler over the kings of the earth. And so we see that God is three persons. The Trinity. Everybody say Trinity. Everybody say, the word's not in the Bible. Everybody say, but the three parts sure are. They're in there. He's revealing it to us. We need to know it. Hold your head up. You got a God that takes care of business. His three eternal persons are looking after you, loving you eternally, and doing everything possible to give you a sustainable life now. But the greater life is to come that he's preparing for you in heaven. Now, you may be here, you say, well, pastor... That's awesome and everything, but I don't understand. I still don't understand. Well, I said earlier, when you get to the place where you own the fact that God can't be packaged in your little simple box, when no longer does your vocabulary and your daily cliches even begin to try to describe God, you're on the right, you're in the right place and you're off on the right foot. He's bigger than that. We have a glorious God. We have an amazing God. He's bigger than all of us together. He got, we got nothing on him, and yet he chose to love us. Isn't that so cool? Isn't that sweet? That the greatest being in all of eternal history chose to know you and chose for you to know him. It's not about understanding. It's about by faith believing and trusting. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, the prophet said, Indeed, his plans are not like your plans. And he says, My deeds are not like your deeds, says the Lord. For just as the sky is higher than the earth, so my deeds are superior to your deeds, and my plans superior to your plans. Isn't that good to know that on your best day, you have nothing in the presence of that God? On your absolute best day, we amount to dust before a great and glorious and grand God 
And so he's God and there is no other. He's God the Father. He's God the Son. And he's God the Holy Spirit. And, and he, he wants you to, to understand and embrace it. And so he gives, us, he gives us metaphors along the way. In Genesis 2, he says, hey, two individuals can come together in marriage and become one and yet maintain their own identity. He says in 1 Samuel 13, an army can come together as one company, a unit, yet in plurality. In 1 Corinthians 12, he says that the church is a body with many members, yet one. In 1 Chronicles 17, he says a nation is one, yet with many citizens. In, in the created order, we know that, uh, that volume is determined by length and width and height. And if you take one away, you have area, not volume. I mean, he tries to show us through the things in this world. And sometimes we foolishly try to unpack it to people. And I've done this, and it's foolish. Because when the create when the created order uses created order to compare and describe the creator, it's not, a, it's not a comparison after all. It's contrast. So what do we do? What would I do? I say, well, it's kind of like this. Uh, you can take water. It's H2O. You can freeze it, and it's ice. It's solid. You can thaw it, and it's liquid. Or you can heat it up, and it becomes steam. Wow. Ice, water, steam. Wow. It's the same thing. It's still H2O, just different personas, right? Or you can say, uh, I am my mother's son. I am my wife's husband. I am my daughter's father, <laughs> but I'm just me. And we do that kind of silly stuff. But the truth is, we can't describe our creator because we're created. All we can do is trust what he says about himself. Sometimes we say, you know, a, a person is really body, mind, and spirit. And that's why some of you leave an empty seat because if somebody shows up with all three of them, it's going to get real crowded, right? I mean, we do these things. We play these word games to describe God. We can't get there from here. So what we do is we trust God to describe himself. And when he does, it'll knock your shoes off. Because only God can describe himself. Isaiah 40, the same prophet who wrote that God's ways and his thoughts are above our ways and our thoughts. He wrote chapter 40 of his book. I'm going to read the biggest part of it. Because this, this is, he gets it. This is what he said. Who has measured out the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or carefully measured the sky? Or who carefully weighed the soil on the earth? Or weighed the mountains in a balance or the hills on scales? Who comprehends the mind of the Lord or gives him instruction as his counselor? From whom does he receive directions? Who teaches him the correct way to do things or imparts knowledge to him or instructs him in a skillful design? Look, the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. 
He lifts the coastlands as if they were dust. Not even Lebanon could supply enough firewood for a sacrifice. And its wild animals would not provide enough burnt offerings. All the nations are insignificant before him. They are regarded as absolutely nothing. To whom can you compare God? To what image can you liken him? A craftsman can cast an idol. A metalsmith can overlay it with gold and forge silver chains for it. To make a contribution, one selects wood that will not rot. He then seeks a skilled craftsman to make an idol that will not fall over. Do you not know? And do you not hear? Has it not been told to you since the very beginning? Have you not understood from the time the earth's foundation were made? He is the one who sits on earth's horizon. Its inhabitants are like grasshoppers before him. He is the one who stretches out the sky like a thin curtain and spreads it out like a pitched tent. He is the one who reduces rulers to nothing and makes the earth's leaders insignificant. Indeed, they are barely planted. Yes, they are barely sown. Yes, they barely take root in the earth. And then he blows on them, causing them to dry up. And the wind carries them away like straw. To whom can you compare me? Whom do I resemble, says the Holy One. That's our God. That's it. Isaiah had a glimpse of God. You and I need a fresh glimpse of God. Because when we get one, it changes the way we live our life. It changes the way we navigate through difficult times. It changes the way we respond to the lunacy of this world. Because you and I are children of that most high triune God. And he died. He loved you enough to die on a cross for you. He's going to keep loving you. And he's going to carry you to the end. And to not understand, it's quite all right. It's quite all right. We live in a, a life where we don't understand. And, and, and to totally understand God, you would lose your mind. But to, to, to totally deny God, you lose your soul. So we're caught here in the middle where we simply walk by faith, not by sight. It shouldn't be that hard. I have this in my pocket. Most of you do as well. Do I understand this? <laughs> no, I don't. I, all I understand, if I don't send them a check every month, they turn it off. That's what I know. But I can tell you this. If I want to get a hold of you, I'm not coming to your house. I am faithfully, devotedly going to punch in your number and wait for you to answer. If I want to send you uh, a text message, I'm punching in some letters. I'm not driving to your house. I don't understand it. Do I understand my computer and the, and the email system? No, but I'm not going to handwrite you a letter, put a 50-cent stamp on it, and hope it gets to your house in two weeks. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to send you an email. Do I understand my Ford pickup truck? No, but I'm not walking home from church. Do I understand electricity? No, but I'm not sitting around in the dark eating a cold sandwich until I do. I walk in the benefits every day of things that I do not understand. And there's a God that we can never understand who is greater than all of those things. And he desires to know us and for us to know him. And it blows me away because we take such insignificant things and raise them up and make them lowercase g gods in our life. 
And I want you to know today, church, our God is bigger than that stuff. And he wants you to dive in to the greatness of who he is. Amen. Amen. And maybe you're here today and you know about God and you know about Jesus. But maybe on this day, through his word and through his spirit and through the revelation of who Jesus is, you realize I have a religion about God, but I don't have a relationship with God. And I think this is the day. I didn't come here for that. But I think on this day, he's invited me into his family. What do you do with that? You respond to that. You do not let the devil take that away. You receive that invitation simply by saying, Wow, God, I am messed up and you have invited me to the table. God, I, I confess I'm a sinner. I repent of my sin. I receive your gift of Jesus, your son, God incarnate. Wow. I take him into my life. I want you to be the God, not just of the world, but the God of my life starting today. Fill me with your spirit. Rescue me. Wash me. Save me. Adopt me. Call me your own. I'll take it all in Jesus' name. And that's what it looks like. Now, maybe you're here and you've already done that. I hope today's message stirred your soul to a place where you realize it's not a religion. It's about knowing Jesus, not just the Son of God, but Jesus, God, the Son. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your patience. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who touches our hearts and our lives and draws us and encourages us and guides us and seals us. And we thank you for Jesus who came to this earth in the form of a man, but in the nature of you, God, lived a perfect life only to qualify to die a perfect death in our place. God, it's my prayer that every person in this room who may be watching online would come to that realization and give their brokenness to the greatness of you through Jesus and his sacrifice. God, I pray that as we leave this place, our lives will, our, our steps will be uplifted. Our, uh, our journey will be exciting before us because we're your children and you are an amazing God. Help us never take that for granted and forget who you are. And we pray it in the mighty name of your son and our savior, Jesus. And God's people said, amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.